This is Dungeon Master Eddie, and welcome to episode 14 of the Exodus of Magic podcast. This episode is entitled The 500 Gold Piece Diet Coke. This episode looks at, at something that happened in my rookie campaign a couple weeks back, and, and to talk about what happened, why I did it, and you know what led up to this, um, I realized I had to let it bake in for a couple weeks. And I also realize, good good storytelling like this, you don't bury the lead. And, and even though the 500 gold piece Diet Coke, we'll get to what that means. The premise of the story is very simple. And I want you to listen to this, and we're going to let it soak in for a second. Because this is controversial, and, and it should be. So here's the key point of this session. I, as the DM, summarily executed a player character. Now, I say that, and I know immediately the just the, the essence of feelings that, that come up upon hearing that phrase. And we're going to talk about what led to it, why I did it, um, the message I was sending, and why I would only send it in this out of my two and soon-to-be-three groups I'm running games in. So the session leads in like this. The adventuring party has discovered information on where their adversary group is. The fastest way to get up to this adversary group is to hire some boatmen to ferry them upriver. Like they're still third level at this point. Fast travel of, of different sorts of magical means is not available. Uh, and these camps are deep in the woods, so you're not going to get full speed out of horses. Not that everybody could ride them. Plus, you have differing movement speeds where we have a scout who moves 40 natively. We have a dwarf who moves 20. A lot of these factors come into the idea that go to the city of Riversead, hire boatmen, take us upriver to where we need to go. And then we can assault the camps of the bad guys who are bringing in a new non-magical weapon that is going to cause havoc uh, at various scales throughout their part of the world. So the party gets there. Uh, in the city, they, you know, they find an adventuring guild, they find a place to bed down, they find a bar where the boatmen gather. And with these boatmen, they come to an accord on... Uh, who they're hiring to take them where. And they, they weren't very discerning. It was simply, I need, we need this many people and this many boats, and we're paying this much. Uh, there's no interviewing. It was simply, all right, we've got a bunch of hands that go up. We'll pick these six. As the party is betting down, they realize they're in a city, and this city should have services that they have gone without for quite some time. As a party who does not have an arcane caster outside of the NPC bard who has limited arcane capability. This was an opportunity to get some items identified. Now, because this is late in the evening, uh, the, and they didn't have pearls of their own to offset the cost, the question was how could they get these identified? They could either head south into the noble part of town, where they could get things identified for the list of 125 or, or maybe plus 10%, maybe minus 10%, depending on diplomacy. And then they would have to wait until the morning to do this because the wizards would have to memorize identify. 
And then in the morning, they can, once they show up with the money, they wait an hour while they memorize, identify, they can cast the spells. In the southeastern part of town, that's three rivers come together. You have the west side of the river, um, the north, and then the southeast. The southeast is where most of the poverty in the city is concentrated. Uh, this is also where you're going to have um, the D&D version of predatory lending and predatory services. You know, your bodegas instead of supermarkets and whatnot, preying on the poor. There is an entity known as the sorcerer. And the sorcerer can identify things. A sorcerer with identify on the list. But because of who the, the nature of this entity, the sorcerer, where they're located in the economy in that part of town, identifying items can be done right away at double the cost. So identifying two items will cost 500 gold pieces. Hence, the 500 gold piece Diet Coke. That's the first half of it. So at the end of the session, one player, Sword Sage, uh, says, uh, tells the DM, I'm going to go talk to the sorcerer to get these items identified and see if I can talk down his price. The Sword Sage, going to see the sorcerer, doesn't tell anybody else he's going to go do this. So we end the session there. So then we get to the session titled the 500 gold piece Diet Coke. And the Sword Sage goes off by himself. And you find shanty town, shanties and tents. And then in the direction where the sorcerer is going to be, he finds one city block that is completely cleared out. It is perfectly manicured, a giant sand zen rock garden with one tent in the middle, stepping stones beautifully polished leading up to that tent, and one stone off to the side that has a stone bucket, and something in that bucket is burning blue. At this point, he tries to talk to the locals about this and even offers money, and they just take the money and run. Nobody offers any information. So he approaches the tent. Um, there's no, no way to announce himself, so he goes in. He's immediately in a space that's clearly much larger than the tent on the outside, and it's a cave. He has two kobolds pointing wands at him and two half-orcs who look big and burly, ready to just beat him into next week. On the other side of this dimly lit cave, there's a small, low-to-the-ground table like a Japanese tea table. And behind it, there's a shelf in the rock where you have a very large human whose feet and head is smoldering. He gets up, and there's the discussion, I would like to have items identified. It's 200 gold, 250 gold pieces per item. Can I negotiate that down? No. Will you take a trade of services? So this entity, who I've tried to make it clear is not a savory individual, says, you need to kill a child. Now, the idea here was to either basically tell him, you don't want any of this, go away, or this is, this is horrible, and he should get the party and bring them back to address this. Um, this is a chance for the party to have a good, um, a good fight and do something good for the city. Uh, it's also made clear that if the sorcerer thinks that 
he is wasting the sorcerer's time, there's going to be a problem. So he says, all right, child, I'll be right back. He goes outside and he looks at me and he says, all right, I need to find a child, but not just a child, like the lowest of the low, right? A kid with a learning deficiency or something else like this. It is at this point, another player gets up. I had texted this other player because he was the last one to get to the table. And I said, listen, um, stop at a McDonald's and get me a Diet Coke. Now, why a Diet Coke? I just wanted a big burst of caffeine. I had had a long day. And the player had, had showed up with sparkling water. Like I just I wanted a beverage. And I, I had explained to him when he showed up why I, I asked for the Diet Coke. I'm, I've, I have learned through history that if you ask somebody to do something, be very specific. Because that you're not throwing things away. And God bless it, I've known this player. We've, I've played at the table with this player for over 20 years. And occasionally, these, these, these things go, I should say they get missed. So hearing this was the situation, he stands up at the table and says, it was a Diet Coke. Diet Coke, right? You wanted a Diet Coke? I'm going to go get you a Diet Coke. And I have a player. He stops at the door. Anybody else want anything from McDonald's? I'm, I'm going to go get a Diet Coke. I had a player get up and, and leave in the middle of the section because he, he figured where this was going and he didn't want to see it. So the Sword Sage goes looking around and and to... I, I'm still assuming there's the proverbial good intention at the end of this. So it's like, all right, you find a you find a kid who's clearly not all there who's playing peekaboo with a bucket. So then he, he pulls out some candy, he pulls out a silver piece and he looks at the kid, he's like, well, you want one of these? Which one do you want more? Which then led into a 30-minute discussion of what exactly constitutes grooming a child, you know, which is arguably red flag number two. So he gives, gives the kid half a piece of candy. And leads him with the you know like a pie piper to the edge of the Zen rock garden with the other half of the candy. Then he leads him up to the front of the tent and gives him the other half of the candy and says, "Do you want more?" The kids go, "Oh, I absolutely want candy!" Right? He's all smiling and happy. He's like, "All right, there's candy in there. There's a whole bunch." So he takes the kid into the tent and he looks at the guy, the sorcerer, and says, "Where do you want it?" The sorcerer sits down at his tea table, rolls out a cloth. You know, it's, it's a red vestment with purple runes up and down, not sinister at all. And he just points at the thing. So the Swords Age dumps a whole bunch of candy on the table, and Peekaboo gets up on the table and just starts going through these things like the Turkish Delight Kid and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So now, there's this moment of anticipation. I've got one player who's just stupefied at what he's watching. I have another player, Jeff, who isn't here for this session, which which made things interesting later on. Uh, and then the I have one player's getting me a Diet Coke. And the last player, she's sitting there just kind of buried under her, her blanket, eyes wide as dinner plates, because she has a good idea of what's coming. And this is I mean, this is dark. So then the sword sage looks at the sorcerer. The sorcerer points at the kid. The sword sage pulls out his spike chain, and I'm waiting for the... I'm going for this guy. I'm going to take out his guards. I'm going to do something. And then you have a moment as a, as a dungeon master when I knew all hope was lost. 
is as he's considering what to do, the, the Sword Sage player pulls out his character sheet and explicitly looks at the top of the character sheet. It doesn't take an intuitive leap that he was looking at his character's alignment to decide, can I get away with this? At this point, he rolls his dice, says the words that this player usually says, I confirm, and does 16 critical hit damage to the kid eating the candy. Once I saw him look at the top of the character sheet, I knew what was coming. I will say things like this are why I hate chaotic neutral characters. I'd rather have a chaotic evil character at the table than a chaotic neutral, because then at least you know this kind of crap is up front. So he splits the kid. It's like, okay. I cut back to the other two players, roll a dice like one's evens, one's odds. It's like, all right, halfling ranger. She's like, yes. Make a reflex save. She rolls a one. All right. As you're looking out the window, you see the explosion well before you hit it, hear it. And even before you hear it, you are lacerated by a spike chain for 16 damage. Now, she's still near full hit points, but even still 16 at third level is one heck of a hit. And that's when you didn't think the eyes could go wider. They did. It's like, what hit me? It was a spike chain that still has the Sword Sage's hand connected to the end of it. Right? The That part of town had exploded in infernal fire. And two-thirds of that part of town, the southeast shanty area, was gone in this exploding giant radius of infernal fire. As you now have a gargantuan thing show up. Big, lumpy, humanoid-looking thing with leathery skin and wings and whatnot. And he's moving around slowly like Godzilla, just burning out the rest of everything. And you still see all these other smaller infernal creatures coming out and flooding through that part of the city. At this point, I explain that the other players see that as well. You know, I said, as I'm explaining this, this is when... My buddy comes back with the Diet Coke, so he gets to hear all of this. So then the party, through various what should we do, what shouldn't we do, makes their way into the city, mostly led by the guy who brought the Diet Coke. My buddy Eric plays good characters, like exclusively good characters. They're never going to be lawful good. They're never going to get along with most people in big cities, right? They have their own way of doing things, um, but do so with very good intent. Like, his characters are very much a reflection of him. And in character, nobody knew he went to see... The Sword Sage went to see the Sorcerer. In character, nobody knew the Sword Sage went to go see the Sorcerer, so they don't know he was the cause of all this. So the players cooked up this story that they'd never seen anything bad come from this character. Therefore, he must have been the one staring down the evil and tried to stop it. And that is the story they will take with them for the rest of the campaign, if anybody ever asks. So as they're pondering how are we going to escape, they're going to steal a boat and and hop in the water and then go downriver. 
this is the point where I really got angry because after the previous story of from the Throwaway Sessions, episode 11, about how they found a character and, oh, he was from the North, so therefore this is important. Uh, we're going to go this way. We have we built out the vastest questions. You've built out a backstory. I have built out a map and a matrix and all of this to get them to go north. And now, because one player decided to go El Stupido Kaiser Soze, they're all about to hop in the boats and head south, out to the ocean, as far away, as fast as they can, in the opposite direction of everything I had built based on, on their explorations and their choices. I was not happy. But, these things happen. So, the barbarian goes in to help the people of the town. He is not going to run away from this. Eventually, the rest of the party also goes into town to help in, to help fight whatever's there. Um, they do see that outside help arrive. Right? This was they were never going to fight the big thing. It it was not going to happen. This this became a way to to bring in larger, more powerful elements throughout the world based on an early warning system I built into um, one of the groups in in various cities. So that a bunch of dwarves led by a spellcaster who the party then nicknamed the Dwarven Avengers showed up to fight the big guy and the rest of the party helped clear things out on the lower end. Um, once this was done, before we talked about reclamation, uh, then the discussion in the party came up about what happened and you had moments of dark humor. Um, I titled this session 500 Gold Piece Diet Coke because the alternate title would have been when the character was with a degree of black humor, because the player isn't this type of, uh, of person. Um, he was talking about the character's motivations and about why the kid and, and the phrase barely bipedal came up, which is now just a, a... It's a phrase I can just throw out there, and you can just see everybody's guts seize a little bit as they're, they're trying to fight the giggles of what this ridiculously was. Um, there was a talk that with this wiping out that part of town, he has solved poverty. You know, it, it, it went further downhill from there. Yes. That's, a, that's all I'm going to share from what happened there. So then the party uh, spends the rest of the session uh, trying to help these people at least get the rebuilding effort underway. Uh, helping to, to provide food, helping to provide lumber and resources, uh, the halfling ranger and her dog was performing, you know, tracking to try to help find survivors and reunite families if, if that was possible. They were doing good things. They were being seen doing good things. Uh, and, and they had been strong parts of the effort, so it, it gave the chance for the party to develop good renown. That even, even the barbarian... I was a half-orc, half-drow barbarian. When he went in to fight um, the creatures, I, I steered him away from the guards, where it's like you find one guy fighting these things alone. And I had him fight alongside a low-level paladin. Because, there, you know, once again, the common good comes first. And this was an opportunity for them to share this encounter, this part of the adventure. And then it builds the idea that when people look at this hulking, ugly, half-orc, half-drow you know, assumed epitome of evil if you have a paladin speaking on his behalf that he did these amazing things for the sake of good. It creates a persona. 
Um, and it, it gives a reason for people not to be freaked out by him. So the party does this. They, they gather this goodwill. They do a lot of work to, try to help put the city back on the right track. The lead architect is one of the Dwarven Avengers, as they're called, who is laying out how they're going to do these things and build up this area, you know, with their capabilities, like put in some sustainable housing, you know, put in the necessary resource. And the parties, parties even point out they're going to need, you know, a school, something akin to a hospital, right? We're going to need, you know, better, better way to get food and clean water and sanitation to these people. Um, and these dwarven engineers are, are laying this out. And the party has a discussion with them, and, and one of the things the, event, the dwarven Avengers are willing to do are to, to make up for the time they couldn't be on the boats, because this took days, uh, would be to teleport them to their next, uh, next point of adventuring, so that they will, instead of having lost all this time, will make up some of it. And that was the 500 gold piece Diet Coke session. So... Let's go straight to the beginning. Why did I summarily execute a player? In the overwhelming majority of cases, this would be the absolute wrong thing to do. I'm, after, after so many decades, I, I understand that. This wasn't done... Uh, this wasn't done to be cruel... Well, it was done to be punitive. And the reason why I did it for this party instead of other parties, had similar things occurred in other parties, which they have with this player, I have someone who is new to D&D. Played a little bit before COVID and with me. It was the first time he'd ever played. He's um, a gentleman who's older than me. He was close, far closer to retirement uh, if he can, then the start of his career. I have my friend Eric, who once again plays very good aligned characters. I have another player who is new to 3-5. She plays 5th. Uh, and this is... Uh, most of us are, are new to her in this campaign. We had not met her before this D&D campaign. And with all of these things put together, the idea was this was going to be a good party and we're going to do good things. And I knew with a lot of these players, there were some roads you don't go down. Right? We, we had a general understanding of this. With some of my more experienced players, I might have made the mistake of not being clear on this because I, I would have assumed, after all the, the campaigning together, that they would uh, pick up on this. I know had Jeff been here, his, his character definitely would have done this. He would have, he might have taken to the point of bringing the kid into the tent, but he would have had a plan to hork the sorcerer. He would not have um, hibachied the kid and then flung pieces into the sorcerer's mouth. So this was sending a very clear message that I don't care what it says on your character sheet. For the sake of party cohesion, there are some things you don't get to do. And the worst part of it is they, as they were talking, the party was talking, why didn't you do X? Why didn't you do Y? It's like, why didn't you just pay him for the thing? And the answer was, I, I didn't have the money. He's like, I didn't have anywhere near the money. Which caught a couple people 
askance. It's like if you did have the money, why why did you go in there? Now, I understand some of it. This player has a history of magic dice. And I'm sure there was an assumption that, well, the dice will save me in this situation. No. For this type of campaign where they're good aligned players, you, you have to have a very clear line in the sand of what can and cannot be tolerated. Because if a player has a character, especially older players, and it's clear, well, my character is chaotic neutral, you know, I do things as I see fit, especially around good players, that can send a, a very bad message, right? I don't want the party to break up over this, and I know if I dealt with this, this player would get the message very quickly. His next character is a neutral good cleric of Paylor, which is great because the party needs a caster, but it's still, the more I talk about it, it still bothers me that we got to this point. Uh, because I, as much as the DM needs to, to manage things, the DM also needs to make sure what everybody's trying to get out of the game and to make sure that the other players understand that. And if I've, if I've had a failing, if I've been really good at figuring out what other people want to get out of the game, I have not been good at making sure the other players understand that because that will lead to some cohesion where they'll try to find a way to work together so that they will make their interests align and everybody can have fun. Right? If you, with a good aligned party, to introduce something like this, ultimately it is going to drive a wedge uh, with some members of that party. And I've, I've seen it before where, uh, like I have some of my friends, a great example, Eric and my buddy AJ. I can never have them at the table for anything more than a one-shot ever. Because that's... That, that's taking a log that's already got the wedge in it, right? They play very different styles for very different reasons, and they will ultimately work against each other. It is a given. Now, if in the campaign, the epic level campaign I'm running with this player, uh, who's, who's a, instead of Swords Edge, it's something else in that campaign, uh, and AJ, and something like this happens, we have a party that can deal with the intrigue of what is the result of this, what long-term adversary does this create, and and so far down the line. In that situation, the summary ex or in that situation, the summary execution of a player would not have been in the campaign or the group's best interest. Now, maybe there are other ways of, of explaining just how wrong something is. Sometimes there needs to be a, a, a reset uh, and, and a clear application of where certain guardrails exist. Once again, I knew the player involved, and I knew if this happened, it wasn't going to cause long-term issues. Right? He, he understands I play for the story, and if I need to course-correct things, I'm going to do so. My level of correction will differ based on the player involved and my level of trust with that player about what's happening and why. All for the want of 500 gold pieces or an extra hour in the morning. Why they couldn't have the boatman wait for an hour is still beyond me. Uh, ultimately, this came down because the party didn't discuss this. He went off and did it by himself. So this, this leads to the need to take a look at those characters who are going to lone wolf. Um, because ultimately, where some of those are fun, I get it. The frenzied barbarian who can 
drop a Tarrasque in one shot if he sets it up right. And yes, a 20, I've seen a 20th level Frenzy Barbarian uh, do over 800 in one round with the, the jump, uh, the leaping attack, the pounce, shock trooper. It gets crazy. But ultimately, lone wolf characters cause issues for the party. And, and better guardrails need to be put in place so people understand that this is a team setup. If you're doing everything, why is everybody else coming to the table? Right? That you should keep the party in mind with your decisions. And I realize some characters, well, my character is selfish. He would do things like this. It's like, all right, I get that. But understand for the sake of the game, the campaign, and the party... That selfishness can only go so far. And at some point, it does need to serve the needs of the party. So that's one that's going to sit with me for a while. Because ultimately, it started out as a bit of a throwaway moment. Where items needed to be identified. And here we are. So this is a a shorter episode compared to others. But it was a a critical moment in, in the early part of this campaign. We're still well into the beginning of Act 1. The party at the end of this had gone from 3rd to 4th level based on what was accomplished. But the story had yet to fold out to a point where they really had a grasp of what the threat was, much less what was going on. And the party has continued on from there, and we will see how the rest of the campaign goes. So this was Dungeon Master Eddie with episode 14 of the Exodus of Magic podcast, the 500 gold piece Diet Coke. Yes, it was inflammatory. It was designed to give people a lot to think about, and hopefully it accomplished that. Uh, I always look forward to any comments, anything people have to say about this, uh, what your thoughts are on what happened, and if you would have done something different. Cheers.